boom there it is all right ladies and gents welcome to another episode we're live in the business bros classroom say what's up class very exciting i can tell all right let's talk about brewing some burr here i know there's 17 year olds in this classroom but hey a business is a business so let's jump into it here we go shut up and sit down look a business can give you everything you want in life prestige wealth freedom it can also take everything away from you this show is for those who are willing to take that risk these are the real life stories of entrepreneurs but before we start i have one small favor to ask please leave a comment it could be advice, critiques, tips, feedback, or share this with someone because your engagement is the most valuable and most powerful form of social currency. So thank you, and welcome to another episode of Business All right, let's do this. Don't ever let anyone or anything stop you from achieving your dreams. Our guest today had a dream of opening a brewery and full kitchen restaurant. Obstacle after obstacle got in his way, but eventually they found a place to start their brewery in October of 2009, but that was just the beginning. They had to renovate before they actually started brewing, continue renovations and wait almost three years before they finally had their dream become a reality. Now they got a great selection of beer. They won many awards and brought pride back to their Riverside Village. I can't wait to hear all about this entrepreneurial journey. So let's welcome to the show from Crossroads Brewing Company, Mr. Ken Landing. All right, oh, Ken, man. welcome to the program, man. Wow, look at that intro, man. That's one of the best intros I've had, man. That's awesome. I love it. Thank you for the kind words as well. Of it's course, awesome. of course. And it's, and I guess we should say it's it's really nice considering you're a Jets fan, but we won't hold it against you, man. We won't hold it against you. <laughs> hey, I've been, I've been suffering for a lot of years, man, so I'm used to it. I'm also a Met fan, and I, you know, I know that's not going to go over too well with your class back there either. <laughs> Nah, they're ready to they're ready to cheer the Padres against the Phillies today. So let's see how things go. I love it. Un I love yeah, it. Unbelievable, because I'm a Dodger fan and they beat the Dodgers. So you know, I get some hate over here too as well. Don't worry. Right on, right on, man. It's all good, man. That's what makes the world go round, right? We gotta have fun. We gotta have something to root for. We gotta have look something to look forward to. And uh, I dig it, man. I, I really do dig it. Hundred percent. All right, man. Let's talk about this. In your intro. We talked about how you got a spot in 2009. You had to wait three years to make this thing become a reality. So before we even get into that story, before we get into 2009, um, you got an audience of high school students. So I want to ask you, first and foremost, because I ask this of all the entrepreneurs that come on the show, what kind of high school student were you? And did you know what you were going to do when you graduated? No, not, I was awful. I was awful. I was an awful high school student. I'm sorry. Um but one of the things that really, uh, really kind of like rescued me and saved my life, and I would like to advocate this to a lot of your, your, lot of your students there now, is I was a tradesman first. I learned I was a, I had a drywall company. I was a sheetrock and taper, and I learned how to do that when I was about 14, 15 years old. And I learned a, a, a very good work ethic and the value of a dollar very early, and that kept me out of trouble. Now, I'm not going to go out on a limb and say uh, being 16, 17 years old with a pocket full of money was beneficial, but it taught me a lot of things, how to manage money, how to understand the power of money. And I was lucky. I, you know, I didn't go to college. I barely graduated high school, but what I had was a trade. And I took that with me till this very day. I still utilize that trade. So I would like to advocate for any of the kids sitting in there and make them understand like, like in another three, four years, there's not going to be anyone to 
do any kind of trades work, electrician, plumber, uh, foundation work, builders, tapers, sheetrockers, plasterers. So that's one thing that I think that kids should really be looking at where once back when I was doing it, it was frowned upon. It was like, hey, you know, you're waiting on a coffee line and you fill it dirt and dust and whatnot. People are looking at you like, look at this schlep, you know what? But now people are starting to realize like, hey, man, these people are valuable. Like our tradesmen are valuable. And now we're starting to actually get recognized and we're able to go out and charge a decent wage. But with that, we're helping people as well, right? We're helping people who can't find tradesmen to do things. So it's a win-win, I think, for 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 the tradesmen in there. And that's like I'd like to start with that first and foremost to let let, let the kids know, man. Like, hey, you you could do very extremely financially well in the trades these days. So, so uh, you know. let me ask you about that uh, the education because it's a little bit different, right? Like you were saying when you were growing up, same when I was growing up, it was all about go to school, go to college, work with your mind, right? But not everybody's designed to work with their mind. As a matter of fact, I get a lot of students who I try to get them to focus for like five minutes and that is a difficult task in and of itself. But working with your hands is a little bit different. It's still an education that you have to go through, but it's not necessarily difficult because your mind works a little bit differently, right? I mean, you still spend a lot of time learning, If uh, correct me if I'm wrong. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely, you know, what you really do learn is, is like, like the skill, you learn the skill, you hone the skill in, but what you keep learning and understanding is dealing with people because you're constantly dealing with people, you know, and that'd be, you have to really educate and learn and, and get your people skills in check. And, you know, I went into, you know, I learned as an apprentice in my teens and then I went into the union and then I ran my own drywall company for about 25 years and then decided at the age 45 that I was getting into the beer industry for the passion of it. But little did I know that all of those years that I worked in the drywall industry was really grooming me to continue my learning for to, to work with people, because as you know, the service industry, the hospitality industry, that's just, you know, it's a people person industry, high, 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 like high volume. So, you know, I also learned like how to deal with, you know, the, the, the customer that was upset or I had to deal with my staff, my average age of, you know, 23, 24 years old. So now I'm learning all, all, all of those, those kind of like, like uh, people skills. So it, it's, it's been interesting. It's been definitely interesting. I'm going to ask you about that young staff because I know there's a lot of these guys that are looking for work and sometimes working at a brewery like that makes a lot of sense. Like it, it, it totally works for uh, part-time jobs, startup jobs and stuff like that. But let's let's talk about the, uh, the beer life. So yeah. you said at about 45, you decided to go into this new industry. So in other words, you're almost taking a leap of faith. It's a completely different industry. It's not drywall anymore. It's not construction. It's still sales, but a completely different industry. What in your right mind thought, hey, I'm going to go into the beer space and be successful. How does that work? How do you get yourself to to do that, take that leap? Yeah, I, I mean, I, I had a passion for it. And this is going back in the early well, God, late 1900s, if you will, <laughs> you know, uh, early 2000, you know, you say that and it seems like forever ago. But for me, it's like like just like yesterday. But I had a passion for it. So what I did was is um, while I would while I ran my drywall company, I learned the beer industry for free. I, I, I worked for a brewery. I was became a salesperson for the brewery. I became a brew rep eventually with that brewery for about five years. And I didn't earn a dollar. I didn't make any 
you know, monetary value. There was nothing. All I was doing was creating a foundation and learning about the industry, which I knew that I was planting those seeds eventually for the business that I wanted to grow. Right. And and that 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 what I see is an issue a lot of times these days is the, the kids don't they want it fast. You know, I want it now. I want it now. I want it now. You need to build that foundation and plant those seeds for your future. You need to look further out and then work backwards. Right. So um, I was just I, I was doing the drywall for 25, 30 years and I was getting a little physically burnt out. I wanted to try something new. And, and I knew that was the way I was the, the route I was going to go. But it took, you know, I wrote the business plan in 2002 2003 we didn't open until 2009 it took that long to learn the industry and to purchase a building and get the restaurant and the brew pub up and running and um you know it's what what everybody sees is you know they see the duck above the water they don't see the paddling below the water right you don't see the work that goes on they want to count your money to, oh the place is filled man it took me you know it took me 30 years to get there it's a lot of freaking work and 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 that's one of the things I advocate too. Is like, like you, you got to be willing to put the work in, man. Like it doesn't happen overnight. And 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 I even I tell my staff that now. I'm like, guys, I understand. Like this is a stepping stone for you, but you're planting the seeds for your future. And the decisions that you make today, I don't care if it's five years, ten years, they will come back, and you you will have that aha moment when I say, ah, you know, that decision I made. If you handle yourself with integrity now, you know, it, it, it's going to stay with you into the future. At least I, I believe that, you know. So don't ever let somebody tell you you can't do something. Exactly, Will. Don't ever let anybody tell you you can't do nothing. All right, let's talk about uh, choosing a brew style. So I watched this show called Undercover Billionaire, right? And in it, the guy is basically he's dropped in the middle of some town nowhere. He's given 100 bucks and then he's got 90 days to make a million dollars. One of the things he gets, he ends up uh, essentially opening a restaurant and he goes through this whole thing about branding or rebranding a beer because he obviously couldn't start from scratch. Uh, when you got into the beer business, what can you explain to me how you choose a brew? Did you go with like your own label or did you end up white labeling somebody else's? No, we definitely, we, so, and I like Grant Cardone, so that was a good show, but, um, uh, it was actually uh, the season right before his, was it before his? Yeah, <laughs> I yeah. knew it sounded familiar. Um, so what, what I did was, is, you know, I, I had a, a love of brewing and I, I homebrewed, we homebrewed in a garage in Queens. That's where I'm born and raised in Queens, New York. And, uh, we homebrewed, you know, when everybody was hanging out and we were chipping in for ingredients and we brewed beer and there was a couple of styles that we gravitated to and really 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 honed in those skills so when when i eventually opened up the own brewery i just took one of those original recipes and just kind of upscaled it up and reformulated it and that's that at the time in 2008 it was a style 2009 it was a style that was kind of un, underrepresented it's, it's called our, our flagship beer is called it's it's a west coast style ipa it's outrage ipa it's it was like really underrepresented on the East Coast. And I was like, hey, you know what? Let's come out of the gate with this. It's a strong, stronger IPA, uh, higher IBUs. Um, it's a it's a flavor and a profile that not many people have seen around here. And till this day, it's still our number one seller. So Oh, you're right. And when you're right, you're right. And you, you're always right. <laughs> you were right. You picked the IPA and it worked out. 
Let's talk about startup capital. So uh, you were in the drywall Oof. business. Uh, the restaurant industry is notorious for having such a large startup capital capital rate with a low success rate. Um, how did you kind of mitigate that? How did you decide that you were going to fund this thing and then kind of secure your success? I mean, again, starting a restaurant is super expensive. Starting a brewery, it's a lot of equipment you got to get involved up front. How'd you fund it? How'd it go? Yeah, so we'll, you're taking me back to the scariest moments of the uh, entrepreneurial <laughs> journey. Um, so when I relocated from Queens to upstate New York, uh, I sold everything. I mean, I was all in. I sold my house. I sold uh, every all my investments. Not that there was, you know, it wasn't millions, but it was a lot to me at the time. I cashed in all my, my life insurance. I maxed out my credit cards. I borrowed from friends. I put myself out there and, uh, you know, I, I literally went to closing on the building. One thing, one, one thing that I had learned early and a, and a mentor of mine told me very, very young, you want to own the real estate. You don't want to be a slave to a landlord. You want to own the real estate. So that I had that in my head, like planted in my head, somehow, some way you have to buy this real estate. And that's, that's what I did. I was just dead set on buying the real estate. So we raised enough money to, by the building, um, I actually sat at the closing table with the finance, uh, the financial uh, institution that I worked with, with seventy cents in my bank account. I can remember it very vividly, Ooh. and I, I, I knew that I knew that I was going to live off some of the money that I was borrowing, as well as grow, you know, renovate the building and work work on the business. But now, don't forget, like like I alluded to in the beginning, I had a trade behind me, so. I was able to side hustle and still do some taping and drywall work while I was trying to open up this business just to keep some cash flow and money coming into my pocket. So it became now, I'm, you know, you know, now it's burnout mode, right? I'm 15, 16 hours a day. But um, with that building, it was a historic building. It was built in 1893. We were able to qualify for some historical grants. And we were also able to tie up into some government money, which was based off job creation. Um, at the time, it was called the Quantum Fund. It was based off of of creating jobs, and and we were able to secure loans that way. And we became very very creative. And you know, I went from the drywall industry with you know no college education, you know, two feet in, like jumping in, and I had to learn. Man, I learned every single day. It was a freaking battle, and uh, you know, was, with with no money in the beginning, man, it was scary. And then, you know, putting selling everything and 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 it, it was it was an interesting journey for sure you know scary Man, very scary yeah i mean not having cash not being able to survive taking that leap of faith i mean you literally believed in yourself this is either a passion or you were completely insane one or the other was gonna was gonna take hold so i mean in any business right part of it is passion and i always hear this double-sided thing right where on the one hand, don't chase the money because it's not the end result that you're after. You're not going to be successful. Focus on your on your customer service. Focus on your product. Focus on your passion, and the money will follow. But let's be honest, man. When you get into business, we're not just doing this for money. We're doing it for a shitload of money. Yeah. I mean, that's the case, right? That's really the case. So how does one take a home brew and scale it so that you are making that kind of money? Yeah, that's a that's a good question, man. I mean, uh, going going back to what you said, I got a lot of that 
is he that smart or is he that stupid? But, um, you know, it, it, it was just it was different back then. The, 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 you know, when I left Long Island in Queens, there was there was four breweries. That was in 2008, 2009. There's 78 breweries there now. And, you know, when I was doing it, nobody knew what we were doing. I had to actually educate and convince the little village and the county. And then, you know, uh, the, the, the feds and when I was dealing with all, all of these, uh, you know, government agencies, like what we were doing because it was so new. So, you know, I, I think it was just growing it organic and just being being ourselves and just, you know, creating a, 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 a kind of like a code of ethics and just a... Um, what we believed in and we wanted to just build a place we first and foremost we wanted to re, uh, renovate an old dilapidating once crown jewel of the village bring it back to life and we also wanted to take pride in the little village and bring commerce into the village and and make a change you know and 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 one pint at a time and that was the goal really like we can make a difference doing this and you know you know one of it's funny that you should say that i, I learned i learned it like later on, probably too late, like business is business, fun is fun. And, you know, you want to make money and eventually you have to make money because your passion is not going to pay your bills. Um, but, you know, if you truly believe in something and you truly enjoy something, it makes it a lot easier to go to that home office or building or wherever the place may be to work and you know for me that was that was the key i wanted i wanted to be able to to go somewhere where i enjoyed it and you know to grow the business and to make a difference in a little in a little village which we did i mean we we honestly did we changed we changed that village to to this day the, the restaurant brew pub still still open it'll be for 13 or 14 years we're still going and you know we we put that village on the map and you know at the end of the day what's better than that you know if you can make a difference in this world and do good things like to me that's win-win you know yeah i mean and for you hospitality business i'm sure you kind of uh remember the cheers days right so you're over <laughs> here trying to remember everybody's name having those regular customers come in yes. but you from the time you 2009 to when you actually opened the business i mean that was three years time so I'm sure you were like stressed out, right? You were <laughs> today, Junior. You wanted <laughs> it done you. today, right? You wanted today, it done Junior. as fast as possible. How do you handle that pressure of I want it done now? Um, I want to open yesterday, and I still got hurdle after hurdle in front of me before I open it. What kind of stuff did you have to go through? What took? Why did it take three years? So, so going back to how it actually went down, Hernan was. Um, so we bought the building in 2008. We actually opened, we opened a little tasting room in 2009, okay, it, within the facilities. We didn't have the kitchen built. We didn't have the bar built. So we didn't have that revenue coming in. We opened a little tasting room, and we had to give out the laws. We couldn't sell. We had to give out free beer. Then we could turn around and sell beer in, in growlers. And that's how we created our revenue. So we literally lived off of the money that, we had borrowed and this little revenue that we created out of our little tap room and small distribution and that's what funded the business at that time we eventually a couple of years later a year later we opened the bar and a year after that we opened the kitchen 
So, you know, it was getting to those milestones was the goal. And we knew that once we, if we could survive with as minimal amount of revenue coming in as we, as we had coming in, we knew that if we got to the next threshold, that that would only increase our revenue and give, it, give us a better chance of success. But it was a battle along the way, you know, laws were changing, SLA was involved, TTB is involved, you know, you, the, the government's your partner, you're paying sales tax, and these are all things that should be taught earlier in age. But the, the hurdles, it was one hurdle after hurdle after hurdle after hurdle. And, you know, I, I, it, without perseverance and without a high threshold for stress, you know, entrepreneur, entrepreneurship looks great from the outside, man, but you better have a stomach of steel. You know, and and it's you know what you see outside looking in is not always the case. You know, but um, it was I can remember sitting in, in the in the, the delivery van that I used to drive myself and drive every single keg around and deliver itself distribute. I was on the phone with the TTB, which is the Tax and Trade Bureau, you know, federally regulating that had no idea what we were doing. I was on the phone for four hours sitting in the van, like talking to him because I didn't have an office, you know, and. I look back at those days and now, you know, it's a lot different now. You can open up with no food and all of those things. But there was definitely a, more sleepless nights than than good night sleeps. I can tell you that much, you know, it's, uh, well, it's honest. You opened. So eventually you got the bar open, then you got the kitchen in. Now you're rocking and rolling. And I, I told you I was going to come back and ask you about young staff. Um that's a whole other hurdle, right? Getting the building, hurdle number one. Getting the, the licenses to be able to sell, hurdle number two. Opening the kitchen. Now you got to manage something. You had a background in drywall, which I'm assuming you either had to deal with contractors, subcontractors, or employees. So yes. you had some experience there. But how does that differ from, you know, in, in that case, you don't really have to deal. Those people are not really dealing with customers. They're dealing with equipment. They're doing right. stuff. Now you're managing people that are front facing with the customer, people that like, you know, customers aren't always the nicest. They say some stuff sometimes. And how do you manage people in such a in such an environment, especially when alcohol is involved to keep that good faith, a uh, good face on and, and do a good job? Uh, oof, man, I'll tell you, that's a great, great question. How I did it. I really don't know. Um I always had I always had an attribute of performing very well under chaos, and I think that that on the on the outside I remained very calm, but on the inside it was a freaking shit show, you know. And <laughs> and, and and I never I I always said you know I, I old commercial never let them see you sweat, you know. But here I am thrown into a people business where I, you know, had sure I had staff, but just exactly like you said my staff, my drywall company, we didn't interact with customers. I was the only one who interacted with homeowners or contractors. They were, they were out of the picture. Now we're dealing with every customer that walked through the door. Your burger is overcooked. Your beer doesn't taste good. You know, the, the, the second, the second night in business, the second, very second night, like we were like, we had no clue what we were doing. Not a clue. We were still writing tickets out on, on, on pads with pencils and, and running them to the kitchen. I had a guy stand up and he was this close to my nose and he was screaming at me. I mean, literally on the top of his lungs. You have no effing idea what you're doing. You should not be in this business. And I was like, oh, hell no. <laughs> and the That's queen, you were like, it was like, the queens in me wanted to throw him through the window. But also I realized that I had, 20 people there 
the dining room was all looking at me. How is this guy going to handle this? And I'd never forget it. And I just, you know, calmly, I turned around and, I, you know, I asked him, the gentleman to leave. And But that was my first learning experience. And that was, wasn't the last one. But, you know, you have to become an extremely uh, which and, and I was I was always a good judge of character and sometimes it bites you in the ass when you don't read it right or you don't read the room right or you don't handle it. but I became a very good judge of character very very well and I was quick at diffusing situations but I it, it, you know dealing with a younger staff it was very hard to me being older um to get on the same playing field with them how do I relate to these kids you know how do I how do I, um, you know, teach them to be professional um, with with customer service? And it was it was it was a tough battle because, you know, some of the, some of the some of the kids are you know they have trouble being being social to begin with. So you know now train we put training in. Everyone had to be trained specifically. You know, eye contact. How do you speak to someone? Um, you know, make sure you acknowledge them. You're polite. You say thank you. You introduce yourself. You smile. All of those things that everybody should be doing on a day-to-day basis. Smile and wave, boys. Smile and wave. Yes, exactly. You know? But it's hard. It's hard. It's hard to do that. And and thank goodness that in the beginning, you know, when we first opened, we did hire some people with experience that that helped us. We're yeah. in the industry. Had way more experience than I did. I'll, I'll be the first. I'll take full accountability, man. I didn't know shit. I was just like, yeah. I just want to make beer for a living, man. I don't want a restaurant. But back then, the laws were different. We had to have a restaurant in order to sell alcohol. So we were forced into the restaurant industry, which I had no desire to be in. But now I found myself in there. And and it was a challenge, man. It was There was many, many nights I just sat there and I was just like, what the hell am I doing? Hey, man, but I'll be honest, dude. Uh you know, these kids just came from homecoming and they went, uh, you know, took their dates out and had dinners. Uh, unfortunately, they're not old enough to be in a brewery. But in my opinion, breweries have the best food. The burgers, the fried, like almost anything in a brewery always tastes better. Maybe it is because of the alcohol. I don't know. We'll <laughs> over that. But it is definitely always good to have uh, some of that great food there. Um, what is something that young people should know if they're applying for a job in the hospitality space after you've been in, in this space for a while, like what advice would you give to them when, when applying, when interviewing, uh, maybe even when doing the job, show up, show up. Number one, man, if you show up, I can teach you. If you don't show up, I can't teach you. You know, you have to show up. And that just shows if, if I, you know, I, I learned a lot of things. If, if, you don't respect the time, you know, you don't respect the person and, and, you know, especially in a job, you have to take responsibility and how do you shine? Like, how do you shine? You be yourself and, you know, being a good judge of character, you could usually pick those things out. And I, I would be the first to say, Hey, you know, I'm going to work side by side with you. I don't care if it's sweeping the floors, washing the dishes. That's how I did it. And I gained respect from a lot of my staff in the very, very beginning because they said, hey, this is the owner of the company and he's down on the floor scrubbing with me and he's cleaning the grease trap and he's taking the garbage out. But that builds character and that builds trust and that builds, you know, um, camaraderie between all of us. But for someone for someone right now, showing up is is the biggest thing I I I can't get anybody to show up, you know, consistently. Um, that's a, that 
one of the things that I always try and talk about is consistency, communication, and accountability. And if you can consistently show up, I'm not a mind reader, right? You have to communicate with me. We have to talk. We have to know what's going on. And I don't mean to get into your personal life, but I also want to be, you know, have some empathy to, to the fact that people do have things going on in their lives and how can I help? And if I can help, you know, what can I do? And then if something gets screwed up and something goes down, you have to take accountability for it, you know, and just like I have to take accountability, you know, if, if one of my staff members came in and they, they, their check wasn't there and I just walked away and I was just like, yeah, yeah, you know what? I fell asleep. I don't take accountability. How do they look at me as a leader? So, you know, the three key mm -hmm. things, I think when you're really, you know, maybe four things, you know, showing up is the, the biggest thing for me, but consistency communication and accountability if you have those if you can muster up those attributes you have a an incredible you put yourself so much higher on that level of success and you wouldn't even you don't even realize it because a lot of people can't do it they just can't so it's 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 do or do not there is no try Yoda, the mentor said it best, right? Show up, just do it. Just Nike has the greatest slogan of all time, in my opinion. Just do it. There's no such thing as perfection, only progress. You're gonna get better over time if you show up and consistently do it. The first time you play Monopoly, you suck. The second time you play Monopoly, you have a chance of winning, and the only difference is you know the rules, right? So that's what it comes down to. Show up, play the game see what happens ken you've been a great guest dropping some pearls of wisdom i'm so glad that you were able to share your experiences the ups and the downs uh before we head out any final thoughts and if people want to work with you reach out to you or uh you know stop by one of your breweries at some point how do they do that yeah man we're in catskill we're in upstate new york um you know we're about two hours from manhattan uh, you can take a train right up you can come over and see us in, in the production facility we have a nice tap room um I'm most uh, active on LinkedIn. You just punch my name in, Ken Landon. Um, you know, I'm, I'm, I like that platform. It's uh, I've met a lot of a lot of great people on there. If anybody ever wants to, to you know, chat, um, you know, questions or whatever, LinkedIn is is the is the you know uh, best way to get a hold of me. My email is there as well. Um, but I'm always open to. I, I I get a lot of people that do reach out um, and 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 ask, do ask questions. You know, I try and. Just wear it on my sleeve, man, and tell it how it is. You know, I grew up in Queens, and that's how we do it. <laughs> Straight up, right? No lies, no BS about it. It's just what we do. And he's a New York Jets fan, loyal, even though they've had trashy seasons. Look at him. Now they got a potential to do something this year, and he's still right there, flaunting the jersey. Got All it, right, man. Ken, thank you very much, man. Got it, got it. Ladies and gentlemen, it's been a great episode. Ken, thank you very much for coming on the show. If you guys have any questions, make sure you reach out to Ken. His email is ken at crossroadsbrewingco.com. You can find him on social media at crossroadsbrewing.co or go to the website trickling across the bottom, crossroadsbrewingco.com. Ladies and gents, we'll catch you guys on the next one. Peace. And we're out. It's over. Go home. Is your business in need of marketing? Try starting a podcast. But not just any podcast, podcast like a pro. We can show you how to take your business from being invisible to becoming a brand people trust. Go to www.businessbros.biz to get started.